0: it's Bernard Rowe, Managing Director and President of Ironear. Ironear is developing the world-class Rhylite Ridge lithium and boron deposit located in the state of Nevada in the United States, one of the most advanced lithium projects in the country. And we're looking forward to being an integral part of the US EV supply chain.
1: You are, and you're getting some way to delivering on that. So last week's announcement, um, a binding contract from Ford. But um, I notice it's. In relation to the conversation we had last time, we, we talked about potentially moving into uh, hydroxide, so you've actually um, signed it for, not hydroxide, but um, instead technical grade carbonate. Is that what you wanted to do?
0: Uh, yes, it absolutely is, as part of our strategy and uh, even, even back in our definitive feasibility study or bankable feasibility study that we finished more than 2-years ago now, it was always, and we outlined it in there, it was always our intention. To start with technical grade lithium carbonate, and that's about ramp up and start-up risk mitigation. You know, we, we acknowledge that it's really difficult to make high purity battery grade hydroxide from day one at any operation, even an expansion of a, an existing operation, we know it's difficult. So our strategy to mitigate that risk was to supply technical grade lithium carbonate, and that's exactly what we've done with the Ford Offtake Agreement.
1: Okay, and it's a it's a it's a five five year binding agreement, um, seven thousand tons per annum, right? Is is that a sort of normal length of, of, of contract that you would expect? And you know, and what options do they have over and above that number? Because you know, right now you you kind of got we're, we're focused on phase one or stage one. There may be a stage yeah. two. So, what's that relationship look like, and what could it become?
0: So, yeah, so the volumes are pretty normal. And, and uh, you know, for, for an early or for a stage one operation, we, we're going to be producing a bit over 20,000 tons of lithium carbonate a year. So we, we're sort of splitting it up into one third lots. And, you know, we've, a third of it's going now to Ford, a third of it's going to Echo Pro Innovation, one of the world's largest cathode makers, a Korean company. Um, and so we have a third that we are still to place and we won't place all of it, we'll leave a buffer. Um, in terms of the, the, the duration of these contracts, five years, that's really uh, comes back to the, the debt funding that you're looking to support with these offtake agreements. I mean the, the, the really the only reason why a company like E would enter into off-take agreements is because it's a requirement to support the debt and hence we say, Bankable offtake agreements, binding yes, but bankable offtake agreements is what's really important because if they're not bankable, they're not worth having. Um, so, five years is a is a, ties back into that financing debt financing, and um, certainly it's our intention to you know in, uh, increase the volumes over time. Uh, 7,000 tons to Ford is you know first stage but we certainly would like to produce more and supply more to Ford and the other customers and we know that they want us to do that this is certainly the demand there no question about that and you know we, we will start looking at what the right time for us to to do that but it's definitely our intention and we definitely have the resource and the reserves at Light Ridge to be able to do it
1: right okay so you talk about um, bankable you know binding contracts um when we when we were you know issuing these, we needed to believe that the company could make money and would still be around to you know deliver into that contract. i.e. that, that Ford would get what they wanted and Ford would then pay for what they wanted, and therefore we would get our money back if we we're providing the debt. So, um, can you is there any sort of clues as to what the what the what the terms are, or what the discussions were around the terms, or are there any conditions precedent um that that you believe
0: will be essential for any debt provider? So I mean obviously the the debt provider wants to see what the pricing mechanisms are and you know whilst I can't go into the detail because they're confidential uh, our pricing mechanism is adjusted to market at regular intervals so we, this is these are not fixed price these are to market on regular intervals uh, based on a pricing index or for pricing formula rather and that formula is based on uh, published pricing information from you know a number of groups that are out there that publish this sort of information so you know it's adjusted to market on a regular basis um, so that's important for the lenders and and obviously you know the creditworthiness of the of the buyer and of course we don't need to worry about that when we're talking about some of the largest car makers and, and cathode makers in the world um, and um, I, you know I think uh, the the debt providers are looking for a certain ratio of you know how much debt versus how much of the material is under offtake and and so you know you have to take that into account as well uh, but we, we, we've obviously done all of that um, you know we work closely with debt providers uh, so that you know we're not not doing offtake agreements and then taking them to a debt provider and saying, well, these work. You know, we've been engaged with debt providers uh, alongside Goldman Sachs for several years now, and we're also in the Department of Energy Loan Programs uh, Office, program. the program of the Loan Programs Office, part of the Department of Energy, and we've been working with them for uh, about 18 months And due diligence over the last five or six months. So you know we 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 we've taken a lot of that into account as we uh, write our uh, um, offtake agreement contracts, and we we prepare them ourselves with our legal
1: advisors. Okay. It's just the reason I kind of want to get into this area is because it's kind of interesting times at the moment, right? So you've got General Motors just being dished out 2.5 billion bucks by the U.S. government, um, Ford. Likewise, will pro- probably qualify for something or other. Um, plus, their balance sheets are, are big, so the counterparty is, is 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 solid. But you're doing this in an environment where you've, you know, you're seeking the debt to build a a, a facility to be able to produce this. The the inflationary environment means that people are, you know, second guessing. What that's going to do to their build out costs so how are you protecting yourselves or mitigating any, any of this kind of increasing cost environment
0: um, so I think the first and foremost the, the way I mean you know that yes there's of course that we're in a higher, higher inflation regime than we were um, there's been escalation in costs no, no question um, but one, well, right from the outset one of our key strategies around you know mitigating risk around uh, cost estimates is to complete a high level of engineering so that when you go out and get your estimates they're based on an engineering design that's very advanced if you if you go out and ask for estimates when you don't have a lot of design completed then you're going to get an estimate that has a very large you know um, sort of uncertainty factor a plus or minus and The more detail and engineering you do, then the more accurate that estimate becomes, simply because you know, you, you've got more detail on all the, all the parts and sizes and components that are required in, in doing that. Now, I think IronEar and Ryolite Reach, given that we've been working on this for 6-years, um, we've done a bankable feasibility 2-years ago, we've continued the engineering design work with Fluor uh, out of their office in Greenville, South Carolina. We're at a very high degree. We were at a high degree of engineering completion when we finished the feasibility study, and we've continued that work. So we're well over 50% detailed engineering design. That provides for more accurate estimates. Um, and I, I guess the other thing that you do to look to mitigate that risk around you know, the cost of building a project like this uh, is you partner with people and you partner with people who bring additional skills that complement the skills that you have. And so we've done that with Savannia Stillwater. So we've got a partner a 50% partner uh, that will trigger when we commence the construction. And you know, Sibania's mining company, multiple operations around the world, including the Stillwater mine in Montana. Uh, they've got a strong balance sheet, strong cash flows, Particularly when you compare it to IronEar, which we're you know, a single asset emerging company.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get that. Sabani Stillwater coming in with a, a project level of, I think it was about 490 million, another 70 million at, at um, Pubco level, a 50 50 partner. Great, wonderful balance sheet to have. But inflation is no friend to. Any of the above, nor is it um, a friend to the commodity prices. There's there's no correlation, it seems, in the in the current market. So I just I'm just trying to understand what are the buffers that you've got in place because good engineering, detailed engineering is one thing, the cost impact is another, right? Mm. Fuel prices up, materials up, delays, times, money, and all of that. Those things for companies at your stage. can make boards nervous unless they've got a plan to deal with it unless they've got kind of friendly as should say partners like Stephanie Stillwater in, in there who, who may be understanding uh, you know and unless that is reflected in terms of the the pricing in the the offtake agreements that you have with you know Ecopro Ford and a another to be announced shortly it it, it would seem and um, so how, how do you, how do you manage that component that must be the you know, the the, big, the longest pole in the tent as, as they say in banking for
0: you yeah, certainly it, well it's certainly one of them yes um, you know I, I would say though that firstly that the the capital capex costs for a project like this you know. 26 plus years um, producing somewhere around you know four or five hundred million dollars of revenue a year uh, it's not actually that sensitive to capex it's far more sensitive to lithium price which we're at record lithium prices now uh, it's sensitive to recovery which relates really at the end of the day to price because if you if your recovery drops the amount of material that you're getting paid for drops so it's a double whammy of price and uh, and recovery, and you you get you 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 achieve high recovery by doing a lot of engineering work and a lot of metallurgical test work and piloting and things like that. And and, and again, if you look at what Ironear has done, I don't think there would be another company out there that's done the extent that we've done on test work, including a full simulation pilot plant, which again was completed a couple of years ago. So. Yes, capex is important, no question about it. But so too are prices. So too is recovery, and 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 uh, you know, being low on the cost curve is important because that helps then uh, provides some sort of protection against increasing capital costs. And and obviously, sharing that risk with a 50-50 partner is also a way of mitigating it. Uh, accessing low-cost debt is a way of mitigating it. Um, you know, it, it, you, you're going to feel the pain more if your if your costs are escalating and you've got very expensive debt that you've funded the projects with, which was what we saw. You know, last last lithium price cycle high. You know, we saw companies financing lithium projects with very expensive debt. Some of them didn't survive when prices fell um, and, and costs. You know, were, were rising. So. Um, but but ultimately, you know, we're in a very very favourable price environment for, for lithium, and I think that's going to continue for the rest of this decade. And we're fortunate, at Ryolite Ridge, we're at the very bottom of the cost curve, courtesy as demonstrated in the feasibility study, courtesy of one more than one hundred million dollars a year of boron, boric acid that we will produce at the same time. So all, all those things come into it. But and and I guess perhaps. More precisely, with your question, of course, we take all those things into account when when we're negotiating these contracts for for pricing with some you know with the offtake partners. And I, whilst I can't go into those details, absolutely we we put protection in there uh, to uh, help uh, you know reduce the risks around increasing costs and increasing prices of materials, commodities, consumables.
1: Okay, so you. You talk about, um, um, st- stage one of, of your project and having three off takers with a little bit of a buffer for, you know, for, for whatever, whatever purposes you may, you may want, want or need. Um, and I suspect all three of those, I know the third one's not in, in the bag yet, but all three of those will be vying for more of your, your stage two out, output. Um, so all good. What I'm, again, what I'm sort of intrigued in this sort of, you know, how, how, what are you doing and what are you capable of, of doing, which is going to ensure success? Because you say there's some kind of technical success. If you move from, you know, the, the kind of technical grade carbonate through to the battery grade hydroxide component, that in, which may come in stage two or, or beyond. Um, are you, are you able to access any of this U.S. Department of Energy funding, which seems available to automotive? Manufacturers, I referenced GM earlier, and I suspect that there'll be there'll be more coming down the line over the next few weeks and months. Do you qualify for any of that budget? Have you applied for any of that budget? Any discussions going on?
0: Yeah. So yes, we do, and and yes, there's certainly advanced discussions going on there. And you know, this is public information, so I'm happy to discuss it. So there are several buckets of funding available through the Department of Energy's this loan programs office. Now, some of that is for critical minerals, and some of it is under this program called ATVM, Advanced Technology Motor Vehicles, which was, a, which was actually a fund set up quite a, a number of years ago, not just about electric vehicles and lithium batteries, but actually targeting emissions reductions through advanced technology within motor vehicles. And uh, and you know Tesla was an early recipient of some of that funding, so th- th- this is not new funding. This has been in place for a long time, uh, well over a decade. Um, interestingly, it hasn't actually been used for approximately 11 years. I think that is what the Department of Energy said today when they announced a, a funding package that they issued to CIRA for graphite um, processing in the United States. But in terms of Ioneer, yes, we engaged with the Department of Energy early in uh, 2021. We, in December 2021, were invited into the sort of formal part of the due diligence process. Um, That was, we announced that in December 21. So for most of the first half of 2022, we've been doing due diligence with the Department of Energy uh, through that program. And we have an application for around about 500 million US dollars. Doesn't mean that that's the amount that ultimately gets approved. Doesn't mean that we get anything approved, but that's what we applied for. So, um, that, that pro, that application and, and how it's advancing, it's quite advanced. So with, we're, we're expecting in the coming months this year, um, and hopefully, you know, um, Sooner rather than later, we're going to get to the end of that due diligence process. Uh, that would then result in, if we're successful, we would sit down then with the Department of Energy and negotiate a term sheet for the debt funding in a similar way that the Department of Energy announced the three point, uh, sorry, the two point five billion for General Motors and the Ultim batteries uh, yesterday. Um, the SIRA one that I mentioned. That was actually approval of that term sheet. So, we just in the last couple of days, you've had two transactions: one conditional approval, one approval. These are the first time that money from the funds from that ATVM program have been deployed in uh, over a decade. You, you wait and we, We're obviously we're obviously hoping to access that funding as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. So it's like it's hopefully, comes in threes. You you. you you wait for ages for an electric bus
0: to come along, then three turn up. I um, <laughs> add, Matt. You know, what, what's the attraction of that money? I said before, you know, low cost debts. Yeah. You know, a way of mitigating for these, for, you know, for the for the capex that you need to build these projects. They are big capex projects. The the debt that you're talking about through the loan uh, programs office is ten year treasury money, so it's very very low interest rate. Um, you know, ten-year plus terms on it. So, you know, it's it's far more attractive than project financing through banks. It's far more attractive than some of the other, more expensive hybrid. Uh, Sort of facilities that have been used to fund some of the greenfields lithium projects that we've seen develop over the last five or six years.
1: Yeah, you're ahead of me. That was literally the next question. Um, was yeah, cost, sorry. cost cost, cost of capital always important and, and often forgotten um, by uh, shareholders or investors alike. Um, so just sticking with the money then. Um, with regards to okay, we, you've got 560 million from Sabiny Stillwater in in a, in a couple of um. Chunks there, project and, and, and pubco level. Um, you've obviously got these offtake agreements, which are allowing to kind of secure, you know, debt in whatever shape or form that looks like. And i am sure you'll advise us, um, you know, as and when you can, if you if you can, uh, about the terms as well. Um, but you're between now and. Get, you know, making that construction decision, and you've appointed lots of engineers and contractors and so forth. But before, between now and that decision, um, do you need to raise any more capital in the markets? In terms of no, equity? we don't.
0: Um, so we, we just put out our quarterly report just a couple of days ago. Um, we had circa one hundred and thirty million Australian dollars, so a bit over one hundred million US in the bank. So we're we're well funded. Um, that's sufficient, uh, so certainly to get us through to final investment decision, which we're expecting sort of in the back half of next year. And it's at that point that FID, when we're fully permitted, we've finished all the engineering, we've, you know, we've got the funding in place that we make that FID decision. And that will trigger this Sabanya, Sabanya uh, contribution of, that's into the project. Uh, of the 490 million, and yes, as you mentioned earlier, there was another 70 million US which they invested into directly into the parent company, and, h- and hence they are one of our, or oh, they're, they're our second largest shareholder.
1: Do you just you know, talk, talking of binding contracts, the the, the deal with Sabuni, you just outlined the conditions precedent, right? Um, they have experienced issues elsewhere, and they are slowing down their investment decisions elsewhere. Globally, they they are very big on the the whole green thematic, the EV thematic, and and that's where they're going. So you're you know you're on brand for that. But is there any way that they can they can back out of their agreement with you? Is it binding?
0: It's a binding agreement, absolutely. So it's got limited CPs conditions precedent. Um, you know, one of the key ones is permitting. So um, you know, there, there's some other things in there, of course, that relate to. Um, you know the the economics of the deposit, and uh, you know that that what gets permitted is is what we've um, in, incorporated into the mine plan, things like that, which we're comfortable with. Um, so the the key CP is is around permitting, okay, and uh, and and it's uh, it's a binding agreement. So absolutely, and we're not seeing any signs of. Uh, lack of interest from from Sabanier. We work very closely with them, so the, the joint venture doesn't trigger it until FID. But we are already working closely with them as a partner. Um, I talk to them very regularly. Um, we're actually just planning a trip out to site with them next month. Um, you know, we're engaged with them on on issues relating to to the mining. And design, you know, design of uh, the mining operation because they've got a lot of experience in that area. Uh, we engage with them on sales and marketing because they're already a large producer of materials that go into uh, exhaust systems, particularly catalytic converters for the auto OEMs. You know, they're the largest platinum producer and uh, platinum, platinumoids, platinum and palladium in the world. Um, so there's a whole heap of things that they're already doing that actually we piggyback off. And so we're well and truly engaged with them and you know I think their commitment to um you know raw materials for electrification and, and trans and, and, and transformation of the energy sector, particularly in the United States. Um, you know, I and, and I'm not saying not elsewhere, but you know, that's where I deal with with them, uh, that there's very, very strong commitment.
1: Right. Okay. You've, and, and I read somewhere in terms of you, you, um, there's a revised, um, plan of operations which has been, uh, resubmitted to the BLM, which was all, which is all great. But, um, back on this FID thing, final investment decision is what qualifies that decision? What, 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 Says, well, that's it fixed in stone. Or is there some maneuverability and, and wiggle room in terms of some of this other, um, you know, engineering or, or procurement activities, which you may be going through? You know, so how, how do you get the release of that money from Sabania Stillwater? and yet still have a little bit of wiggle room to kind of finalise a few things?
0: Uh, so, well, the, you know, for, for, for a company like so, FID by final investment decision is a decision made by the board of INEA. and for Ione, Ionea's board to make that decision, we have to have equity in place, we have to have debt in place, we have to have permits. And we have to be ready to commence construction from from an engineering perspective, right? And and of course, we have given that there's a, always going to be a time gap between when you've done a bankable feasibility and when you're about to commence construction. Then you also have updated uh, operating and capital cost estimates ar- around that time, so that the board is of Ioneer is fully informed. You know what what do the economics of the project look like at this point in time it doesn't matter what the feasibility study showed uh, several years earlier you know things change commodity prices uh, all the other things that we talked about before uh, consumables operating costs change etc labor cost change so we will have updated costs we'll have the other things i just mentioned and the board of inea would then make a final investment decision, yes or no, are we proceeding? And if the Ironair board elect to proceed, then that automatically triggers the uh, joint venture and draw of funds with Savanier. But that's, so that's the
1: bit I'm interested in, the, um, Brandon, because most people don't, we, we kind of casually throw away these three letter acronyms and not without actually fully understanding the decision making process, which is you, you, it's a decision made to start. The build process, but i I'm interested in the give or take bit, which is within a certain variability, we find that this investment makes sense. We will go ahead, we will start the process, but it releases all the capital, or is it a drawdown from Sabanier? How does that work
0: i uh, know it's it's a drawdown as we spend because obviously we're not, we don't we don't sort of spend four hundred and ninety million all all at once. So it's a stage it's a two-year build um, so it's staged over time and, and look some of it is you know uh, some of it is required upfront and and, a, and a probably a higher proportion of it is required upfront because you're ordering lot longer lead time items and getting going uh, but but overall it's staged over that construction period and that's the way you draw down the funds um, you know I, I think the the, the, the key around the making the final investment decision especially when you've got a partner is that you know the basis of, of the economic basis of of, ha- of the project when the deal is struck has to be reflected in you know ultimately in the economics and, and economic uh, studies at the that you update at the time you make a final investment decision but but again you know in that in our case, you know, yes, there will be some costs rise. Of course, no costs have gone down over the last two years or three years. Um, but you know, when when we did the bankable feasibility it, bankable feasibility study, just as an example uh, of of a cost that's changed more than anything is the price of lithium. So our, our assumptions on the lithium were thirteen thousand dollars, averaged over twenty six years, and in, in and in the early years that was below that average. So we were using sub thirteen thousand dollars lithium. You know, we're seeing spot prices today of seventy five thousand dollars, and they seem to be sitting there. You know, there's talk about you know a looming sort of again a looming shorter term oversupply, but we're not seeing any any of that reflected in the spot pricing. Um, you know, what's important, of course, is the longer term contract prices, not the not just the spot, but um, you know the the price of lithium. Certainly, in everyone's view, is going to be considerably higher than the thirteen thousand average that we used in a in a twenty twenty one, sorry twenty twenty uh, completed bankable feasibility study.
1: Right, and um okay, in- interesting. Okay, I, I just think it was useful to kind of get into the into the weeds that. So again, just on timing, then. Because you know people be, be be looking at you know when when there's a re-rate when you make a decision to construct there's usually a little bit of a, a bump on yeah. that and then if they understand how long the build period is there's another bump on that so can you give me a sense of where, where you're at in terms of that FID what, what you, what's your expectation timing wise
0: the second half of 2023 so second half of next year uh, is when we would be expecting to be in a position to make that FID decision.
1: Okay, it's a big project. I mean, just remind people because it's such a long time since you did the, the economics on this. Remind people of the scale uh, of this. So it,
0: yeah, so it's it, well, it was ju- the capital cost estimates at the time of the bankable feasibility were just under eight hundred million dollars, and it would produce um, you know twenty thousand tons of lithium hundred per year, one hundred seventy four thousand tons of boric acid a year. You know, depending on your price assumptions, that's somewhere between you know four and five hundred million dollars a year of revenue. Um, the uh, NPV was around about one point two billion US. Uh, the internal rate of return at that time, based on those numbers, was somewhere around twenty-one, uh, between twenty-one and twenty twenty-two percent around that level. Um, so you know, we we're, we're not we're not anticipating that's going to change too much based on the Early numbers, some costs are going to rise, and certainly uh, operating and capital costs will rise. Um, but so too will the, the pricing assumptions, particularly long-term pricing assumptions around uh, around lithium. Now, you know, we, we I can't discuss what numbers we're going to use in those models, and we'll use numbers. Savanio will use numbers, and the Department of Energy will use numbers, and banks will use numbers. But but what we're seeing, most banks are projecting longer term prices that are closer to $20,000 a tonne for lithium. And that's to incentivize new production coming on online. And uh, if, if we don't have those pricing incentives, we won't have the new production. Uh, And if we don't have the new production, the prices are going to Stay even higher. So, you know, I think we're in a very favorable pricing environment for for lithium for the rest of this decade. And that's just simply driven by the demand. And, you know, particularly when you look at the markets that we're in, the United States, second largest car market in the world, essentially no domestic production of lithium today. It's insignificant the amount that gets produced today in the United States. And so, you know, we, we think that we're in a really great position. Being as advanced as we are, being able to commence production and, and supply to the likes of Ford and Echo Pro, you know, around 2025 is is a really uh, great time to be bringing that production online.
1: We, we did a, we did a show um, a few about two three months ago on copper, and I was kind of stunned by some of the numbers there in terms of the production levels today and The mm-hmm. demand coming down the line, right? Massive, massive gap. But yes, and, and copper is a slightly different um, product from lithium in the sense that lithium is very, very technical. Um, but there are a lot of um, development companies which are being held up because of env- environmental issues, because of funding issues, and um, and even if it did all come online, it was not, never going to get near to meeting the demand numbers, right? So that that, that, that yes. was copper. We did the same thing with uh, nickel. You know, just before Christmas. Lithium, because it's a slightly more technical metal in terms of being able to extract it and being able to kind of, as you say, whether whether it be carbonate, or whether it be hydroxide, it, you know, there's big specification issues from the battery manufacturers or OEMs in terms of impurity levels, etc. Do you yes. are you a believer that of the lithium developers in the market now purporting to be able to produce? Lithium at the levels they say. Do you think that all of them are going to be able to, one, get financed into production, and two, are going to be able to deliver it technically? And if so, what does that do in terms of the pressure on the supply-demand fundamentals?
0: So, do you mean the existing
1: producers? No, I mean developers coming through. Because you're going to tell me, and your PowerPoint tells me that, oh, demand's up here, supply's here at the moment. We there's a big gap to fill. We're going to fill some of that, and there's a whole bunch of companies saying the same things, right? Yeah, yeah. Ford have gone through a process with you and said, right, we believe that you can. You you know, you can definitely supply technical grade us. and quite frankly, right now. That's good enough. We've got deals with battery manufacturers. We'll sort the problem now. But what we want is security of supply because that's a yeah. big, big um, hurdle to get over. You know, hydroxide, we'll will work it out. But there's a lot of companies like yours at a similar stage to you, haven't necessarily got the funding in place yet for the build, but they're talking a big game. And you know, there's there's a narrative going on between people who say, well, can they? Yeah. Can't they? What, what's your thoughts? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. So, sorry. Sorry. I, I get. I understand your question now. I think that that's not a unique scenario in the commodity world. It happens all the time, and so you know, people project uh, a shortage of uh, supply or and a gap uh, with you know between supply and demand, and you have all you know projects emerging projects that are looking to to fill that. And what happens, of course, is that some of them get built and some of them do not. Um, I, I think in the lithium space, it's going to be no different. Uh, some of them will be built some of them won't be built we saw that you know in pre, there's been you know at least three sort of lithium price booms over the last decade and we've seen some things get built and other things that were slated as being that were, were expected to be built or expected to be expanded they didn't happen and so it's not easy um, particularly when you're talking about the high purity high in, in, and increasingly high specifications required it's not easy to do that. Uh, even if you're an existing producer with a lot of ex- years, decades of experience in doing it, that's still not easy. Um, so, you know, do I think everything's going to get developed that we know today? Uh, no, I do not think that will be the case. I think that, uh, you know, in order to bring these projects online, you know we you've often heard people say every lithium deposit is a bit different you know a brine here is different than a brine there and a spodumene is different etc uh, in our case we're talking about a sedimentary deposit um, so they're different again and what it requires in my view of with any of these things is is a lot of test work and a lot of modeling and a lot of um, you know um, Piloting and these sorts of things to to know what you've really got, and only and and how you're going to process it, and what what's the sort of you know the devil is in the detail ultimately with these things. You can have a really great brine deposit, and you can have a very difficult brine deposit, and that applies to the other types of lithium as well, including the sedimentary ones. So it, it needs work. It needs investment, and you know, how do you measure that? Well, I mean, this is my view. You measure it by how much money the companies have spent on those projects to demonstrate that and de risk them. In our case, we've spent in excess of $100 million here over the last six years. And, and you measure it by, well, how successful has that company been in securing the funding for that project? And in our case, the reason why we have Sabania Stillwater. In as a partner for, to the tune of half of just under half a billion dollars is because of all the detailed testing and engineering and um, piloting and et cetera that we've done over time. So when I when I look at it, I think, well, which ones are going to get built? It's not so much about which ones are going to get built; it's about which ones are going to get financed. And in order to get financed, these these particularly these uh, um, you know. Um, Bespoke type projects, which nearly all the lithium projects are, then it needs an incredible detailed test work and design work completed over many years, and that costs money, and that's that's what's going to make the difference, in, in my opinion.
1: So um, you've done the Nasdaq listing beginning of this month. Um, what's Clearly, US asset, Nevada, near Tesla, it's going to get people excited a little bit. You've done a deal with Ford, um, which they understand, maybe EcoPro a little bit less. Uh, what's your expectation of what the NASDAQ listing is going to do for you in terms of liquidity?
0: Um, yeah, so we did do a NASDAQ listing, you're right. Uh, it, what we did was called an ADR2. So we did not issue any new stock. We just simply created. Uh, an American Depository Receipt system, an ADR, that would allow uh, shareholders uh, to transfer their Australian shares onto the Nasdaq as an ADR. So it's just a transfer of one to the other. One, uh, four, 40 Australian shares can be transferred to give one ADR share, and you know, the re- the, the, of course, there's multiple reasons why we did it. Uh, and, and and you know and what we're expecting to get from it, but but ultimately you know we have thirty plus percent of our register uh, are US based, so we know that the audience is there already, and w- of course we're expecting that audience to only increase as we get closer to uh, commencing construction and production of this project. So that was important. Um, partnering with the likes of Ford, of course, again, raising that profile of a vioneer in the United States is important. Um, our team is based over in the US. We're an Australian listed company, but really we have 2.5 two people working in an office in Australia, and uh, about 30 people working out of our office in Reno. Our board of directors, 3 of the board are American uh, citizens and residents. So, you know, we, we actually recognise that the future of this project and the profile of this project is, is going to be highest in the United States. And, you know, it, it, it's, we expect it to be a cornerstone Lithium supplier into that US uh, domestic supply chain that's so critical and so important. Um, all of that makes sense that then you have an increased uh, access for investors uh, to the company, and we think we thought the best way to do that was through one of these ADR uh, NASDAQ listings. And you know, we can add to that as we go. You know, it's, it's not uh, just an ADR 2 forever. Um, you know, it's possible that in the future we'll look at doing some other kind of dual listing structure that we might change that around a bit. But this is our first step into that, and uh, it, it's going to, of course. You know, with what I described about transferring shares rather than issuing new shares, you know, there, there will be a, a restriction on liquidity for a while. But you know, we're expecting that the market that will correct itself over time uh, as we increase the interest in the, from the US market. And you know, the, the, it's simple and straightforward to transfer the shares from the ASX across to the ADO. It takes twenty four hours um there's information about it on our website how to do it if anyone's interested in doing it um there's numbers phone numbers of people that can assist but but we know that uh, it's very straightforward it's a 24 hour process um, once you talk to the right people and uh, we we're, we're expecting that that will increasingly we will see uh, shares transferred from the ASX across to that ADR
1: right but but uh, but ultimately the, yes, being the size of the US market with a US asset, I think the expectation from from the, the market shareholders would be that you you move away from the ADR and into a situation where they can trade more freely on Nasdaq proper. Um, you're not going to raise any more capital going forward, or unlikely to raise capital going forward. You told me earlier, so. How does that? How could that happen? If it does happen,
0: well, you, basically with an ADR, there, there is a cap, and once you exceed that cap, the you, you no longer actually qualify as an ADR. So um, you know, it's meant as a an ADR is operates as a minority uh, sort of mechanism for tra- trading your shares. If it becomes the majority, then you have to restructure it anyway, and and, and the, the reverse of that would be. Um, a primary listing on the NASDAQ and something like a CDI, uh, which is the Australian sort of equivalent, uh, and it would sort of work in reverse. But, you know, it's really just where the shares are transferred. And if they can move easily from one to the other back and forward, it doesn't really matter that you haven't issued new shares here uh, or in the US, um, when I say here, I mean on the NASDAQ, it, it can happen by driven by the market and where the market is, and, and that's what we expect will happen over time.
1: Yeah, I, I, suppose, I suppose what I'm getting at, it's like if i if I'm a US uh, retail investor, the thought of going and buying Aussie shares for an Aussie broker and then transferring them over may may seem a little bit too much effort for me. So I just wonder, how, you know, you're going to keep an eye on this and sort of work out when the right time. Yeah. We well, can
0: yeah, that's right. And we, we can understand that. I mean not not everyone's gonna want to go and buy them on the ASX and then transfer them them across. But already we've seen that happening. So there are people out there and there are institutions out there that are that actually are happy to do it. And you know, they will, of course, some of them, not all of them, but some of them will then be selling those shares as an ADR. And there, there will be a market. So we, I mean, we've already seen some reasonably, uh, reasonable increases in the trading volumes. I mean, they're still from a low base, admittedly, but you know, considering you know, essentially there were no shares issued. Well, the, the, we've never issued any shares on the ADR. There are shares trading on there already. So people are moving them across, and we've had plenty of inbounds from people who have been uh asking for instruction on how to do it, which is why we put it on the website. And um you know, we think that'll increase in time. And you know, I think with you know with transactions like the Ford transaction, uh, you know, hopefully uh, an update around the DOE loan program uh, in the coming months, um progress of the permitting uh are things that are all going to increase the profile, not only here in Australia, but yeah, certainly in the United States as well.
1: Brendan, Brendan, appreciate the update. Enjoyed the conversation last time out. I've Enjoyed it this time. Uh, good luck with all of that, and stay in touch. Okay.
0: Yep, we'll do. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for your time.